You guys can turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. I was hoping that we would all wake up to a cold front this morning. That did not pan out. I'm sad about that. It is still hot. It has been hot all summer, and so my kids spent the entire summer in the pool. And so I was looking through old pictures of the kids in the pool, and I saw this one. This is my daughter Gracie from a few years ago. And it was shocking for me to remember how much my kids used to hate the pool. They utterly hated being in the pool. They cried all the way to the pool. They cried in the pool. And then they cried all the way home. They just hated the pool. They always felt like they were drowning. They were afraid of it. And yet this summer, I can't get them out of the pool. They're like dolphins. They're in it all the time. They love being in the pool. So what changed? Well, they learned a few skills through swim lessons that gave them a few really good experiences in the pool, and now everything is transformed. They absolutely love it. It's their favorite place to be. Well, I was thinking about that transformation in my kid's life, and it reminded me of a similar transformation that happened in my life when I was a student here at Texas A&M about 20 years ago now. A transformation around, somebody just said, yeah, no, I know, I know, I look a lot younger than I am. Um, Transformation that happened around this book. You see, as a kid, I grew up in a Christian home, and I knew that I was supposed to read this book. I knew my parents wanted me to read this book. I knew my youth pastor wanted me to read this book. I knew God wanted me to read this book at least every day, and so I really tried to read this book, but it was no fun. It was just no fun at all because I didn't understand it. It felt like every time I would open the Bible and turn to a passage, it would be really confusing. I just couldn't understand what I was reading. So just boom, I open up to Genesis. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshish and Tiras, the sons of Gomer. I don't know what to do with that. That means nothing to me. And so I'd flip to the right a little bit. Now we're in Second Chronicles 21. So after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable sickness. Now it came about in the course of time at the end of two years that his bowels came out because what in the world do you do with that? And so let's just forget the Old Testament. Let's turn to the New Testament. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 7. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in the case One receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What in the world does that mean? It felt like every time I would open the Bible, it would just be confusing gibberish to me. And and worse than just not understanding it, I didn't see how it had anything to do with my life. This book was written literally thousands of years ago. Before computers, before televisions, before America even existed. And I would open it up and read it and I could find nothing about how to pass algebra or how to not get beat up at the locker or how to get a date on Friday night. I just, I didn't see any connection between this book and my life as a kid. And so for most of my youth, this book spent more time on the shelf than in my hands. But all of that changed. 20 years ago, when I was invited to a Bible study led by a tall, thin, new pastor named Brian Fisher. He wasn't the senior pastor at this time. He was just a a, a men's pastor. He was leading this small Bible study for, for guys. And in this Bible study, rather than teach us a particular passage of Scripture, he taught us how 
to study Scripture. He taught us how to read the Bible, how to study it, and how to apply it to our lives. He gave us these skills, just like Rebecca Sellers, who taught my kids how to swim, just like she gave them skills. She taught them how to kick. She taught them how to doggy paddle. She taught them how to roll on their back if they get in trouble. She gave them simple skills that transformed swimming. It took the fear and mystery out of it. Now it was a joy to them. Well, so Brian gave me simple skills for reading and studying and applying scripture that took the mystery out of the Bible. It took the fear out of scripture. Now you could drop me into the Bible, even into Leviticus, and I knew what to do. And this was before seminary. And even more than knowing what to do, as he taught me these skills, the Bible started to make sense and I could see how it related to my life. All of a sudden, it felt like God was talking to me through the Bible. And suddenly, I I couldn't get enough of it. I no longer kept the Bible on my shelf. I kept it on my desk so that I could read it every morning as I ate my cereal. And so I could read it every night as I was drinking a cup of coffee. I, I spent time in this book because all of a sudden, it made sense. And it connected with my life. And that filled me with incredible joy. It absolutely transformed my relationship to this book. I loved it. And my prayer for many of you this morning is that the same thing is about to happen. I've been praying this week that God would give you a moment of transformation, just like he gave me 20 years ago. That this morning I could give you some of those same skills that Brian gave me that made the word of God come alive and made it a joy. So let's start in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Let's look there. Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Our passage this morning begins in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in this passage... There's a lot of bad stuff that you should avoid. But there's one verse that tells you the good thing you should do, and that's verse 15. It's the key verse, the most important verse in the whole passage. We'll get to the other verses, all the bad stuff to avoid later. We're going to start with verse 15. This is the good thing that you're to do. And Paul says, be diligent in it. Diligence in in Greek, it means to make every effort. So each and every day, make every effort to live out verse 15. In particular, you are being diligent to do what? Well, to present yourself to God as an approved workman. Sounds kind of weird. Workman, that's an a unusual word for servant, really. You're a servant of the Lord. You, you follow God. You serve the Lord in this life. God wants you to be an approved workman. Approved means that you pass a test. Well, what's the test? It's this life. We talked about that last week. This life is a test. 
God is seeing whether you will join good deeds to your faith and follow Jesus throughout the trials of this life. If you will pass the test of this life, enduring in faithfulness to God, then you will be approved when you stand before Jesus as his servant. The result will be you'll be unashamed. Unashamed when you stand before Jesus. It's not in this life. That's in the next life. When you stand before him, you'll have no reason to feel shame. This is exactly what we talked about last week. The Christian life is about more than just getting to heaven. Heaven's great. God wants to give you the gift of heaven. That's a free gift. You receive it through faith alone. But that's not all God wants for you, right? He wants you when you stand in heaven to be approved by Jesus, to be unashamed, to be honored and rewarded with the opportunity to rule with Jesus in his coming kingdom. That's what we looked at last week. There's an opportunity to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but to be approved, to be unashamed when you stand before Jesus, you must endure in obedience. Faith alone is not enough. To be approved by Jesus. You get into heaven by faith alone. But you must add good deeds. To be rewarded by Jesus Christ. In the next life. Now so far we haven't added anything. To what we studied last week. So what's new here? Well the end of verse 15. Paul finally tells you how. How do you become. An unashamed. Approved workman. Well by accurately. Handling the word of truth. Word of truth, that is the Bible. To accurately handle it, it's a metaphor word in Greek. It talks about cutting a straight path through a forest, like with a machete. You cut a straight path. And the idea is you have great skill. So you can skillfully use the Bible to cut through the challenges and problems of this life. That's what it means. You're you're skilled in this book. You're accurately able to handle it. The result will be you'll be approved by Jesus when you see him. That's something that God wants for all of us and that's our big idea this morning. The big idea of this passage is that if you want to be approved by Jesus when you stand before him in the next life, you must become an expert in his word. That's true for all of us, not just pastors like Timothy or me. That's true for every believer. All of us are called to become experts in scripture. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's not talking to pastors. He's talking to Christians in general. For though by this time you ought to all be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That is the Bible. Since he is a child. But solid food is For the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's what God wants for you, for every one of us. We are all called to become mature, skillful students of God's word so that we can accurately discern between good and evil in our lives. We live in America and we're very blessed to live in America for a lot of reasons. One, which you might not be aware of, is we have an incredible number of amazing Bible colleges and seminaries in this country that you could go to. And that's a wonderful gift, but it's a gift that carries a problem. The problem is that it leads us to tend to think of church in two classes, two divisions. We divide the church into the trained experts 
who have their ministry doctorate or their THM or whatever it might be. They're trained. They get to study God's word. They get to be experts in God's word. And then there's the rest of us who just passively receive God's word because we're not qualified to be experts in it. But that's not how God sees or wants his church. God's expectation is that all of us, every single Christian at Grace Bible Church, without exception, would become a mature expert in God's word, accurately handling it, rightly understanding it. We're told in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Now, these Berean Jews, Jews who lived in the town of Berea, when they heard Paul teaching, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. God says that these people, they are noble. Why? Because in this church, they didn't allow themselves to be divided into the experts, the pastors, and everyone else. They recognize we're all called to be experts in God's word. So Paul would teach and then they would all open their Bibles, which for them was the Old Testament, and they would study to see is what Paul teaching true? Should we adopt this teaching? They recognize that every follower of God is called to become an expert in scripture, all of us without exception. Now, I have been blessed to be able to go to seminary and learn Greek and Hebrew and a lot of ancient literature and ancient history, and that gives me insights that it's my privilege to share with you. And I get more time during the week to study the Word of God because you graciously pay me to do this for a living. So so that gives me time to share insights with you, but none of that makes me more qualified than you to hear the voice of God in His Word. I'm no better than you. You can be every bit an expert of God's word as me. And you're called to be that way. You are called to become an expert in God's word. Why? Reason number one, because that's the only way to be approved by Jesus when you see him. You've got to become an expert in his word. But two, it's the only way to avoid all the bad stuff in this passage. Most of this passage, actually all of it, other than verse 15, is bad stuff to avoid. Before and after our verse, Paul tells us to avoid worldly, empty chatter, wrangling about words. What are these words that Paul worried about? Well, he gives you an example of these worthless words in verse 18. He tells us that these two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. What's going on there? Well, here's a little background. Greek people found the idea of bodily resurrection to be ridiculous because they looked at your body and they said, man, your body, it gets sick, it's weak, it gets hungry, it gets tired, it ages, it gets worse with time. So why in the world would you want to get your body back after this life? They laughed anytime a Christian talked about resurrection. They found, literally, they laughed at it. And so what are Christians tempted to do When the world laughs at us, we change the truth to take away whatever the laughable, whatever the ridiculous, whatever the offensive part is. And so these two guys did. These two men mentioned in verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus, what they did is they just twisted. They just reinterpreted Christianity a little bit. Instead of bodily resurrection, God really meant spiritual resurrection. Your body, no one wants that. That'll rot in the grave. But your spirit is alive. And, and guess what? Actually, your spirit came alive the moment you trusted in Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, you've already been resurrected. Great news. Nothing about this embarrassing bodily resurrection stuff. That's what Christians were often tempted to do in the ancient world, 
So if you were a Greek Christian, you would redefine the resurrection so the Greeks wouldn't laugh at you. If you were a Jewish Christian, you would add the law back into the gospel so the Jews wouldn't laugh at you because the Jews couldn't imagine religion without law. That's what Christians are still tempted to do today. When the world laughs at us, when the world finds some part of Christianity to be either ridiculous or offensive, we change it to take away the offensive part. That's why there's a health and wealth gospel. Because who doesn't want to be told that if you follow Jesus, you'll get rich and be healthy? Sounds great. That's why there's a liberal gospel. God wouldn't condemn people who are nice. Just be nice and you'll get into heaven. That's why there's a postmodern gospel. There can't just be one way. Do whatever feels right to you. Jesus feels right to me, but whatever you like, that's okay. All of these are heresies that are easy for people to believe because they haven't become experts in the word of God. And that leads us to kind of our next big idea. Heresy is always easy to swallow if you don't know the truth. Whatever the heresy is, whatever the lie is, it's easy to swallow if you don't know the truth. That's why when new officers join the treasury department and the, and the department is training them to spot counterfeit bills, they don't hand them a bunch of counterfeit bills and tell them, hey, figure out what's wrong with these. No, they hand them the genuine article brand new, perfect, authentic bills and say, spend the next hours, days, weeks looking at these bills through magnifying glasses until you've memorized every feature of the genuine article. Because then when you see a counterfeit, boom, you'll know instantly. Well, that is exactly how you get to know heretical teachings as you spend so much time in this book that when you are told a lie, you spot it immediately. So kind of to bring this home, We all need to become experts in the word of God. Why? The good reason, because if you become an expert, you will be approved by Jesus, rewarded by Jesus when you see him in the next life. Now the bad reason, if you don't become an expert, you are easy prey for every new heresy introduced into the church. I got to this point in the sermon and I kind of recognize that you all come to Grace Bible Church, so you probably already know that you should be spending time in the Bible. (laughs) I figure that you're here because you know that this book is important. This book is valuable. You probably feel guilty because you don't spend more time in this book. And so I was thinking, what, what is it that keeps us from enjoying this book and delving into this book? And ultimately, it's the same problem I faced in my youth. You don't know how. You open this book and it's a mystery to you. It doesn't seem to connect to your life. You don't know what to do with it. It, it feels like a, a fearful, mysterious thing to get dropped into here. You feel like you're going to drown. And so you don't spend time in it. And so what I want to do with the bulk of our morning is I want to introduce you to those same skills that Brian gave me 20 years ago. These are not seminary skills. These are all of us skills that will help you to be able to read and study and apply the word of God in your own life. So I'm going to walk you through these skills. You can write them down as we go through, but this sermon will be up on our website in a couple days. You can listen to it or you can have all my notes where I write out everything that I'm going to show you today. Okay, so don't feel like you've got to write it all down, but let's jump right in. So to become an expert in God's word, first of all, you've got to learn to read it. Okay? Read, study, apply. So number one, you've got to learn to read it. So how do you read the word of God? How often should you read the word of God? Well, this isn't a legalistic thing. I'm not going to tell you that you have to read the Bible every day to be a good Christian. It's not like that. What I'm going to tell you is that you need to read it regularly so that it becomes familiar to you. 
However often that is, maybe it's a lot one day, little next day, whatever. You need to become familiar with this book. You need to know the Bible better than you know books about the Bible. Okay, so if you know more about what John Piper or Francis Chan have to say about the Bible, then you know the actual Bible, that's not okay. If you know John Piper or Francis Chan better than you know Obadiah, that's not okay. Their books are great, but Obadiah is scripture. You need to know it. Speaking of Obadiah, I literally have this fear that in heaven I'm going to see Obadiah. And he's going to say, oh, hey, you were a pastor, right? Yep, yep. So what do you think of my book? Um, wait, wait, what did you say your name was again? Okay, Obadiah. Um, what, wow, what, what am I going to say? I mean, what, what am I going to say that hasn't been said before? Wow, it's just amazing. I mean, what... You know, <laughs> and I'm going to totally blow it in front of Obadiah, and I don't want that for any of us. <laughs> and so let's bring it home. If you know John Piper or Francis Chan or Harry Potter or Texags better than you know this book, that's not okay. All four of those things are great. Harry Potter, Texags, wonderful. Have fun there, but they're not scripture. And so I'm not telling you that you have to read this book every day. I'm telling you that you have to read it enough to be familiar with it so you know it and you own it more than anything else in your life. Okay, so you need to spend time reading this book. So how do you practically do that? Let me give you a few tips. Tip number one, you're going to sit down and read the Bible. Um, Get in a comfortable spot with a good beverage. Uh, I love coffee works for me, kind of sets the moment. I have found that if you get a mug with a verse on it, it's worth at least 10% more holiness from your quiet time. So, you know, whatever little things you can do. So that's, that's a free one. I'm not even going to count that in my numbered list of tips. Number one, this is really most important. When you're sitting down to read the word of God, pray. It is God's word after all. The wonderful thing about your God versus other people's gods, God, our God, actually wants to reveal himself to us. That's why I wrote this book, God Doesn't Waste Time. He gave you this book because he wants you to know him. He wants to help you understand what's in it. So just pray. Ask his spirit to open your eyes so you can understand his word. So start out every time with prayer. Second, let's start with the easier books. So if you're new to reading the Bible, I don't recommend Leviticus or Numbers yet. You'll get there. I always tell people, start in the Gospel of John. It's just wonderful, life-giving, amazing book. Read Philippians. That was one of the first books I studied. Really life-changing. Second Timothy, which we're reading and going through this semester, part of the reason is because it's one of the foundational books for us. Psalms, deep, wonderful, worshipful book. So start with those. Once you've done those, I tend to lead people to um, Luke, Acts, Romans, Genesis. All of these are great books to spend time in. Okay, so start with the easier books. Get to Leviticus a little bit later. Third tip for you, read whole chapters. When the Bible was written, verse numbers weren't in it. It wasn't divided up into verses until about 500 years ago, actually. When you're reading the Bible, if you just try to read one verse, it's not going to make much sense to you because no verse makes sense in isolation. So you got to read the Bible a chunk at a time, and the easiest chunks are chapters. So just sit down and read a whole chapter. Okay, that's the easiest way to interact with the text. So read a whole chapter, and then I encourage you reread it multiple times. So we're Texans. We know how to barbecue, right? We're really good at barbecue. What is the secret to a good barbecue? 
time. You've got to let it cook slowly, really, really slowly. Well, it works the same way in Scripture. The secret to understanding Scripture is to slow down. Read through it and then read it again and then read it again. I encourage people, when you're, if you have the time and you sit down, read something three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. Read that passage or that chapter. You've got to give it time to sink into your mind so it can marinate and sink into your life and transform you. Okay, so read it slowly. Read it multiple times. Fifth, as you're reading through that chapter multiple times, if there's a particular verse that jumps out at you, memorize it. Memorize it so you don't have to look at your Bible to know that verse. We're told in Psalm 119, David says, I've hidden your word in my heart, that scripture memory, so that I might not sin against you. Every verse of the Bible you memorize is a weapon against fear and anxiety and temptation. That's God's battle plan for you. Memorize scripture and that becomes a shield to you, a weapon against everything that assaults you. Okay, so read scripture multiple times slowly and then memorize particular verses and let them sink in. So that's how you read the Bible like an expert. Now let's talk about how you study the Bible. We're all called to study the Bible, not just pastors, not just seminarians, all of us. And you can do it. That's a great news about studying the Bible is it's available to everyone. It's just like my kids learning a few skills that transform swimming. So you can learn a few Bible study skills that will transform your time in God's Word. So I'm going to walk you through some of the same skills that Brian walked us through. The first is when you're trying to figure out a passage of scripture, it's much easier if you will compare multiple translations. I am going to guess that most of you, if not all of you, read English in here. You may not realize this, but you are incredibly lucky. You're lucky because we have more high quality translations in the English language than any other language out there. And so you're lucky. Use that luck to your advantage. When you're trying to understand a passage of the Bible that's not clear, read it in other English translations, and one of them will click for you. One of them will make sense, and you'll understand the passage better. So I like to tell people, for me, I like to read the Bible in a word-for-word translation. That would be like the ESV or the NASB Bible, and then compare it to a thought-for-thought translation. That's like the NIV or the message or something like that. I'll compare them next to each other, and it really helps it all make more sense sense to me. So you can buy a few Bibles, or if you'd like, you can do all this online for free. Really, the internet has transformed how we do Bible study. There's a lot of sites and a lot of apps out there. I'm going to take you to my favorite, but you may already have a great one. You may be aware of some great ones. I'm going to refer to lumina.bible.org throughout the morning. Bible.org is an incredible organization partnered with Dallas Theological Seminary, who has invested an incredible amount of manpower into providing resources for us to study the Bible, and they don't charge anything for them. No profit. It's all for free. And so I love this website. You just type in lumina.bible.org, and you will be looking at what's on the screen. Two columns of text. So the red arrow, I chose 2 Timothy 2, because that's what we're talking about this morning. The green arrow, I chose the NASB, New American Standard Bible, because that's what I tend to use when I'm preaching. Then on the right side of the screen, I chose the Net Bible. That's the blue arrow there. You can choose whatever translation you want to compare it to. Net, if you don't know, that's the New English Translation. It's out of Dallas Theological Seminary. It's an incredible English translation. Really, really good. 
So I can read verses and just compare them to each other and get a better sense of what God is saying to me. If I really want to go deep in a particular verse, the red arrow there, I can choose the word parallel and it lists that verse that I'm looking at in every English translation. So uh, it ran out of screen room, but I've got the net, NIV, NASB, ESV, and many others below it. So that's for 2 Timothy 2.15. I can just read it in these different English translations and, and get a better and better idea of what God is saying to us. Okay, so compare multiple translations as you're studying scripture. Second tip for you, mark up your Bible. An unmarked Bible is a sad Bible. It makes me think of Ferraris that are bought by people who seal them up in hermetic garages so that they can appreciate. That is a sin to me because Ferraris were built to drive. And I am really sad for the cars. I think that they need a kind individual like me to liberate them and use them as God intended because no Ferrari should be parked in a garage just like no Bible should be left pristine. Bibles are not collector's items. I mean, maybe if you have Luther's Bible, but you don't. Your Bible's not a collector's item. It's meant to be marked up. It's meant to be used. And so I love to see somebody's Bible and they open it up and they've highlighted their favorite verses and they've underlined key words and they've circled things that they want to study in more detail and they've drawn lines between related ideas and they've written key words or questions out to the left of the margin. That's how to use a Bible. You mark it up. You fill it up with your observations and your questions. Really good stuff to use a Bible like that. So mark up your Bible. Third tip in studying your Bible is ask questions. Ask lots and lots of questions. The smartest people on earth are the people who ask the most questions. They don't worry about whether they're the best questions. They just ask the most questions. So Albert Einstein, clearly a really smart guy, he said the important thing in life is not to stop questioning question everything. He said, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. The more questions you ask, the better you will understand. That's true for everything, whether you're talking physics and math or whether you're talking the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible well, you got to learn to ask questions. So when I sit down and read the Bible as I'm reading, I ask myself every question I can think of. I don't worry about whether I can answer the question. I just ask it. So I ask all the normal questions. Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What does this verse mean? What does this passage mean? How does it relate to what came before? How does it relate to what came after? How does it relate to my life? Just ask all of these questions of the text. The more questions you ask, the more you're going to understand of the word of God. Okay, so ask lots of questions. Fourth, Context, context, context. That word's listed three times because you you know the rule of real estate. How do you determine? What are the three most important factors for determining the value of real estate? Location, location, location. The point is that location trumps everything. Well, in your Bible, context trumps everything. Context means everything that's before and after the verse you're studying. So when I'm studying a verse of the Bible, if I don't understand that verse, then I need to look at the verses that came before and the verses that came after. I need to fit the verse in to the context of the passage. So I'm going to read the preceding verses. I'm going to read the verses that come later. I'm going to circle those key connecting words like therefore or so then or for this result. I'm going to circle them so that I can trace the author's flow of thought. If my understanding of this verse does not fit the verses that came before or the verses that came after, then I'm wrong. It's just that simple. It's got to fit the context. 
So I fit the verse into the context of the passage. Then I fit the, con- the verse in the context of the book. A lot of people make the mistake of opening their Bible and asking, what does this verse mean to me? Guess what? It wasn't written to you. There's not a single word in the Bible written to you or me. We were not the original audience. Now, all of it applies to us, but it was written to a particular audience at a particular time in a particular place facing particular problems. And so if you want to understand that verse, you have to think about the book as a whole. So whenever I'm in a verse that I don't understand well, I think about the book as a whole. Who wrote this book? When did they write it? Who were they writing to? What were the problems they were trying to solve? What's the big idea of this book? If my interpretation of this verse doesn't fit that big idea, then I'm wrong. And so you you fit the verse within the context of the book as a whole. And then finally, you fit the verse within the context of the Bible as a whole. You worship a God who is always true. We believe in a God who never contradicts himself. And so if this book is the word of a God who never contradicts himself, then there will never be one word in this book that contradicts another word in this book. If you're reading the Bible and it seems like two things contradict one another, that means we're wrong. We may not fully understand yet, but there is nothing at the end of the day that will be contradictory in this book. That's impossible. Because God never contradicts himself. So when you're studying a verse you don't understand or a passage you don't understand, use the truths you've learned in the rest of the Bible to interpret the part you don't understand. Use the clear teachings of Scripture to illuminate the teachings that are more confusing. Okay, so we use the context. Context is king. I'll give you guys a a little promise here. You'll just have to take it on faith. If you will become good at interpreting a verse in context... You will be a better expert of the word of God than at least half the pastors in America. I am not exaggerating. Get good at this one because context is king. Fifth, look up key words. Most of you don't remember a day when there was no internet. I do. When I wanted to look up a word I didn't understand in the Bible, I had to go to the library because I didn't have enough money to buy the big heavy books I needed to study a word in the original languages. So I would drive to the library and I would have to grab from the shelves multiple big books, one to find a number, one to look up that number and see where it's used, one to find a definition of that word. It was incredibly time consuming to look up a word I didn't understand. Now it's so simple. Just go, same website, lumina.bible.org. They've done it all for you. It's incredibly easy to look up a word. Now, on lumina.bible.org, they have done all their work and tagged it to the New English Translation, the Net Bible. So on the left, I've chosen Net Bible, and I chose 2 Timothy 2. And when I read it in the Net, I noticed verse 16 said something odd, but avoid profane chatter. What in the world is profane chatter? It's not like something I talk about on a normal basis. So what do they mean by profane? I didn't understand the word. So I clicked it, it highlighted it yellow, and it came up with that little bar that has a number of things on it, but you notice it has a magnifying glass, and we all know what to do with that. That means you're going to search for that word. So I click the magnifying glass, and I get a lot of options. One of the options is a strong search. That's the red arrow. One is a word study. That's the green arrow. I started with the strong search. Strong, kind of weird thing. Strong is a guy, an actual guy's name. He coded a number to every Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek word in the Bible so that you can now use this software to put it all together. So you click on strong search, and the right column looks like that. It's going to list every single place in the New Testament where that Greek word is used. 
So you can instantly get a sense of how that word is used. And it's really helpful. Now I'm looking at English translations and I notice 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, but reject those myths fit only for the godless. Okay, so profane is translated godless and connected to myths that the world commonly talked about. That's helpful. But I want to go even further. So I notice it says, there is a dictionary entry for bebelos, the Greek word. Well, I'd like to read that dictionary entry. So I click that. And I get the dictionary entry and I read it and it shows this word is used in multiple different ways. It could mean accessible or lawful. Well, that's not what it means here. But it could mean profane and that's that's kind of what we're getting at. And then it tells me that when it's used to talk about a profane thing or a profane place, what it means is common. Common. So all of a sudden I recognize, well, profane Chatter doesn't mean profanity. It's not like you're walking around cussing. It just means you're speaking like a common person. In other words, what Paul's condemning there is Christians whose speech is identical to the speech of the world. Whether or not you're using cuss words or not. Well, now that's really helpful. All of a sudden, I understand better what he's getting at. Common speech, worldly speech, speaking and thinking like the rest of the world. Okay, so just, uh, it took me 30 seconds to do that word study. And now I understand what God is saying to me. Revolutionary what tools like this have done for our ability to understand God's word. So just go to lumina.bible.org and you can study all the words that you come across in your study of scripture. Step six, after you have studied a passage for yourself, it's time to take advantage of the research that's out there. There's a lot of scholars who've dedicated their lives to unearthing details in the text that you might not know. And so after I've done my own Bible study, I read commentaries. Now you could go buy a lot of commentaries, but it would cost a lot of money. So all you need to do is go where? Lumina.bible.org. And some of the best ones are here. So what I do, on the left, I've got the New English Translation. Again, I'm looking at 2 Timothy 2. On the right side, I click the word notes, because that's where all the commentary notes are going to be. And then I've got a slider, that's the green arrow, and I select net notes. The wonderful thing about the net Bible is when the DTS professors wrote it, they wrote it for translators. So like Wycliffe or New Tribes Mission, who's taking the Bible and translating it for people who don't have the Bible in their language. So what these guys did is they added around 50,000 notes to the Bible explaining what every word means. And so you click net notes and now you get all the notes on the right. And it'll scroll with you as you read through. So incredibly helpful to get at the meaning behind the text. That green arrow slider, you can slide it to the middle position which says Constable's Notes. This is a man, his name is Tom Constable, and he's going to get a big old crown when he gets to heaven. He's a professor at seminary who did what no professors do. He has dedicated his life to writing a commentary for every book of the Bible, and then he gave them all away for free. And in giving them away for free, he said anyone can publish them or put them anywhere they want. The wonderful thing is he keeps them updated all the time. So what he's done is with his big brain, he's read all the commentaries in Greek and Hebrew and then boiled it all down in English for the rest of us and written a commentary for every book. And so if you select constable's notes it will follow with you and you'll be looking at an amazing commentary that will walk you through every book verse of the bible 
Okay, so really, really helpful tool. So consult the commentaries. If you're more a print person, you'd rather not work on a screen. The best print resources I know that won't bankrupt you is the Bible knowledge commentary. There's just one volume for the Old Testament, one volume for the New Testament. Old covers on the left, new covers on the right. They'll cost you 30 bucks a piece at Amazon or $15 used on eBay as of yesterday. So great resources out there for commentaries. All right, number seven, perhaps the most important, as you're studying the Bible, discuss what you learn with other people. Bible study is not meant to be done in isolation. So we join a small group, a grace group, where we can share what we're learning and people can challenge us and instruct us and help us to study the word of God better. If you're not in a grace group or a small group Bible study, just go to our website and click connect. And you'll see lots of Bible studies, lots of home churches. Join some small group where you can study the Bible with other people. That's crucial to really understanding it. Okay, so that's how you study the Bible. Now let's talk about application. There's an interesting promise that Jesus makes in the book of John. Chapter 14, this is Jesus speaking. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Reveal myself to him. Jesus is talking about scripture. That's how he reveals himself to us. And what Jesus wants us to understand is this isn't an ordinary book. This isn't like your calculus book where you just need to spend a lot of time in it and you'll understand. This is the word of God. It's spiritual. The only way to understand this is with God's help. He has to open your eyes to see and apply scripture. And so Jesus is saying, I would like to do that in your life. I would like to reveal myself to you through the word. I'd like to open your mind so you can understand scripture. There is only one condition. What is that? You must obey. That's the principle with scripture. You got to obey what you already know if you're going to get to know any more. God only opens the pages of scripture to those who are willing to obey what they already know. If you're not willing to obey, then you're never going to understand more of this book. Okay, so... That's why it is crucial when we study the word of God to end our study with application. We ask ourselves, what did this passage say to me today that I need to actually do? If we study the Bible and don't apply it, we're just increasing our guilt. That's not a good thing. So apply the word of God. How do you do that? Well, it's nothing fancy. When I'm studying a passage of scripture, I just end by asking myself four questions. Four very simple questions. Is there a truth here that I need to believe? So something that I didn't believe that now I need to believe. Is there a sin that I need to confess? Maybe I was doing something wrong or I was not doing something good that I should. I need to confess that sin to God or maybe I need to confess it to someone else that I've hurt through my actions. Is there a behavior that needs to change? So either a bad behavior that I need to stop doing or a good behavior that I need to start doing. Is there an example here to follow? Someone in the Bible whom I need to live like, who I need to follow. I just ask myself those four questions. If I, if I say no to all four, then um, that's why I need a Bible study because I shouldn't have said no to all four. Every single passage of scripture is applicable to your life in one of these ways. Okay, so if I say no, then it means I need to talk to other people to help me better understand so I can apply it. You should be able to say yes to one of these questions with any passage of scripture. And once you say yes, once you identify the truth you need to believe, the sin you need to confess, the behavior you need to change, the example you need to follow, the final thing you do is you create a plan of action to do that thing this week. And I always set that time horizon, one week. I give myself one week. Whatever it is, I've got one week 
to start doing this or stop doing this or say this or believe, whatever it is, I got one week. And so I set a specific plan of action to begin to make that change in my life in the next week. That's how you apply scripture. The more you apply, the more you will know. The more you know, the more you'll love the word. Okay, so we covered a lot today. Let me give you a few resources that you can turn back to. This whole sermon will be on our website, grace-bible.org. If you click resources and sermons, it'll be up there by the end of business on Tuesday, along with all my notes, which are detailed, if you've never seen them before. Um, With all these resources, all these steps, it'll walk you all through it. Okay, so all my notes will be up there Tuesday. Another great resource for you is Breakaway. Their website, breakawayministries.org. If you click resources and then you search by a series called Engage the Word. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. Incredible series of podcasts. They actually found a way to screen capture Ben Stewart marking up the text as he studied a passage of scripture. So you get to learn from him exactly how he studies. And it's very understandable. And if you'll follow his example, it'll make you a better student of the word. So great podcast, there's like 10 or 20 of these. Just go to Breakaway and Engage the Word. A couple books for you really quick. The best ones I know best of all, How to Study Your Bible by K. Arthur, a classic, small book, really simple, and will help you become an expert in the Word, or the classic Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. So again, all this will be online. Get one of those books, learn to study the Word of God. I know we covered a lot today. The reason that I've done this with you guys, the reason I've kind of done a different sermon today is because of how transformative this was in my own life. You see, when I was a freshman and a sophomore at A&M, I felt guilty all the time because I knew that I should be reading the word of God more than I did. I felt guilty because the Bible bored me. And, and I knew, I was like, That's pro- God's probably not happy about that, that I find his word boring. And I didn't know what to do about that. It's not like I could snap my fingers and all of a sudden the Bible wasn't boring anymore. I didn't know what to do. All I could think of was to pray. And so starting my sophomore year, I literally prayed the prayer, God, please help me to learn to love your word as much as I love engineering. Now, I know that is the nerdiest prayer you have ever heard. And yet there are some of you in the audience who know me well and you know how big of a prayer that was. That was a huge thing for me. The wonderful thing is about a year later, God answered that prayer by sending Brian. And so when Brian invited me to that small group and I learned these skills and began to study the word of God, all of a sudden I had a process, I had a system that helped me to be able to jump into scripture and not drown. Now I could understand it and I could apply it and I began to love it. And that's why I'm not an engineer now. You guys cannot imagine how big of a thing that is. I left the thing I was born to do. Why? Because I love this more. I love studying and teaching the word of God. And that's because God opened my eyes to see how rich scripture is if you will just learn a few skills. So please put these into practice and pray for God that he would help you love his word as much as you love anything else on this earth. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would reach down into our hearts and you would begin to grow a deep and lifelong lasting love for your scripture. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your word would not bore us, that it would not sit on the shelf untended, unused, that instead your word would come alive to us and it would speak to us. We would see you in it. We would understand what it's saying to us, how it's challenging us, how it's helping us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would find joy and life in scriptures. 
We pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn and practice these skills that we would put in the time and attention to get to know your word, to read it, to study it, to apply it. We pray that we would be diligent to become these approved workmen, these approved men and women who are unashamed when we stand before Jesus because we become experts in your word. We know that we can do that through the power of your spirit working in us. So Lord, we pray for every one of us in this room. Help us to put in the time and the effort to know your word, to read it, to study it, and apply it, and as a result, to love it more than we love anything else on this planet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.